It's that time of year again, where our immunity is really being tested. I have to feel 100% in order to run my weekly podcast, fulfill deliverables for my clients and partners, manage my household, and take care of my family of five. So believe me, I take my health seriously and take all the measures I can to feel my best. Sambacol was developed by a virologist and is a dietary supplement that provides powerful immune support fueled by nature's superfruit, black elderberry. Black elderberries are a natural source of vitamin A, C, and E, and contain antioxidants that may help fight free radicals. The gummies and syrup have a delicious berry flavor and are easy to incorporate into my daily wellness routine. They're dairy, egg, gluten, nut, soy, and wheat-free, vegan and vegetarian friendly, and they do not have any artificial colors, flavors, or sweeteners. Visit SambucolUSA.com, and that's spelled S-A-M-B-U-C-O-L-U-S-A.com, and use my code MOMSENSE15 to receive 15% off your order of $9.99 or more. This offer is valid for U.S. customers only. Sometimes parents need a little reminder that our health comes first, and Sambucol can help. Developing strategies, whether it was bringing a pre-portioned amount of a snack I was happy to eat or figuring out a way to give myself the awareness to make good conscious choices as opposed to mindless ones that were just the easy or obvious or lazy ones that I could have made gave me that opportunity to enjoy my college experience fully and also do it in a way that let me lose 40 pounds ultimately over the course of my first couple of years at school, write this book and write it at a time when I don't think the health and wellness advice that had been given to teenagers and young adults at the time had been all that specific to that age range. Like it had been kind of like efficiency eating or low budget eating or low skill level eating or, but it was sort of like jumbled together with everybody who might be in those categories, as opposed to hey, college people, (laughs) this is a very unique time in your life. And here's someone who is doing it alongside you and has this personal experience. Uh, The success that I've found has been through these specific tricks and tips and techniques I've used. And let me try to make it accessible and, and useful for you as well. Hi there, it's Kanika. Get ready for another season of That's Total Mom Sense, where I interview global thought leaders on their life stories, the legacy they're passing on to their kids, and of course, their mom sense and dad sense superpower. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Hey, I'm Daphne Oz. Hi, I'm Shawnee Darden. Hi, this is Chris Lynn. Hi, I'm Bob Nishamalan. Hi, this is Tony Leroy. Hi, I'm Shannon Lee. Hi, I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Hi, this is Michael Perry, founder of Maple. And you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. It's our mission to be inclusive. So we're having dads pull up a seat at the table. Tune in to my new monthly segment, What Matters Most with Maple, featuring my co-host, Michael Perry, tech founder and devoted father of two. Thank you to my brand partners, community, and you, yes, you, for making this podcast possible. Episodes release every Thursday. Join my tribe by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com and subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. During the holidays, what's the first thing that comes to mind? For me, it's family and food. And today's guest is a bonafide expert in both. 
Daphne Oz is an Emmy award-winning television host, New York Times bestselling author, natural foods chef and entrepreneur who has made her mark in food and beverage, wellness, beauty, and parenting. In 2019, Daphne joined Fox's hit show, Master Chef Junior, as their newest judge, alongside renowned chefs, Gordon Ramsay and Aaron Sanchez. As one of the co-hosts of The Dish on Oz, a weekly series on The Dr. Oz Show, Daphne brings the latest in food news, family-friendly recipes, expert tricks, and insta-worthy indulgence to the small screen. She was previously co-host of ABC's The Chew for six seasons. Known for her friendly and inspiring candor, Daphne shares her real-life insights with more than 1 million fans across social media. We often see her on The Food Network, The Today Show, and Rachel Ray. In her chart-topping podcast, Mom Brain, she cultivates candid conversations about parenting and raising happy, confident kids with trusted experts, doctors, celebrities, and friends. Daphne is the best-selling author of The Dorm Room Diet, Relish, and The Happy Cook, and her latest, Eat Your Heart Out, all fun, no fuss food to celebrate eating clean, and I can't wait to get into it. She sits on the Columbia Children's Board and is a co-chair of the Junior Board for Health Corps, a nonprofit that brings nutrition, exercise, and stress modification education to high school students in more than 60 schools across the U.S., Daphne and her husband, John Jovanovich, have four beautiful children, Philomena, Jovan Jr., Domenica, and Giovanna. Daphne, welcome to That's Total Mom Sense. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, that was quite the intro. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, I, I wanted you to hear it all because I mean, you have so many feathers in your cap and, you know, I, I feel like moms are worst at this. We don't give ourselves credit, but you have done so much in your lifetime. Well, thank you very much. I know I I do think women and and moms and just people in general have a tendency to like feel like they're never doing enough and your your to-do list never is crossed off. You're always, you know, scattered and falling behind, but we do a lot. We do a lot in 24 hours. It's and you know, <laughs> try to leave something left over for ourselves too, which is good. So I want to go back to your roots. We all know your parents, Dr. Oz and Lisa Oz, and they actually have Turkish and Italian roots. Mm -hmm. And I want to know how that influenced your family and the family dynamic. My grandfather who passed away last year would always tell this story, you know, his wife would tell his, my grandmother would tell the story of how, when he got on the airplane, he was born in a really, really poor family in, uh, in a village in Turkey. He'd gotten a scholarship throughout his, all of his schooling become a doctor in Turkey. And he was leaving to go to America to do some more training. And his mother put him on the plane and reportedly said to the pilot, make sure you fly low and slow. <laughs> um, but you know, you think about just like the, like that was you know 80 years ago or at the time, maybe 70 years ago. And it's just how much has changed and how much they the, the, the risks that um, those early members of my family took paved the way and primed the path and, and have created these opportunities that uh, my siblings and I get to get to explore. So I, I'm so proud of that heritage. Love it. and love to eat it. Yes, yes, I know. I just I would love to be a guest at that table. I mean, how how fun. Tell me about what it was like growing up in, you know, a big family. You have three siblings. I do have three siblings. So I kind of grew up in this funny nexus of 
I'm the oldest of four, but I'm also kind of in my mind, the youngest of seven because mm. my, my, my mom is the oldest of six kids. And she had me when she was 22 and I very, and my dad was still in medical school at the time. And then, you know, early in residency and just working like 80 hour, 90 hours, a hundred hours, never leaving the hospital, like insane, insane long shifts. And my mom uh, being kind of a kid would oftentimes just take me back to her parents' house and we'd drive an hour and a half into Pennsylvania and we'd end up hanging out there. And and so I, I'm so close with my grandparents who I do feel kind of raised me in a way. And so I kind of consider myself their seventh child. Plus my youngest uncle, my mom's little brother was only nine years older than I was. So we very wow. much were like in the same group. I will say that being in a big family gave me a million things that I, that I deeply treasure as part of who I am today. But one of the most critical pieces is like how to make yourself heard, how to feel like you're contributing to the conversation and, and listen, and then respond and feel the confidence of being a part of a community that you feel is like stable and will love you no matter what. And I think that was, that gave me a lot of confidence throughout early adulthood. And, and, you know, I've spoken widely about um, being the heavy kid in a family full of health nuts and and my sort of challenges with figuring out a healthy lifestyle program that would really work for me, which I wrote about in my first book, The Dorm Room Diet, when I got to college and figured that out. But I, uh, you know, people would often ask in the beginning, like, was I bullied? What was that experience like feeling, um, you know, just feeling like I I, what, I hadn't been prioritizing my health in the way that I could have been. Even at a points when I wasn't confident in my skin, I still felt this degree of just like on solid ground and, and, and baseline happiness because of that incredibly strong family network that I feel so grateful for. Is there one piece of advice that you remember that, you know, either your parents gave you or a family member gave you that has stuck and that's something that you're saying to your kids now? worrying is just a prayer for the worst possible outcome. Ooh. And I, I always think about it when I get worried or I, you know, get anxiety about something. And it is a human tendency to want to ruminate on the things that really disturb us and the things that make us scared or nervous or that we don't feel we control. And the irony is that we don't control them, but yeah. in worrying about them, you like live the worst possible outcome even before it's ever happened. And it may never happen, but like you're, you've given yourself this pain anyway, and it distracts you from putting your energy towards things you do want to have happen. And I, and right. I do radically believe that is true that like, what's the, I forget how I always always mangle the adage, but it's like, we're, and where thought goes, energy flows or whatever it is, uh, where yeah. you, mm -hmm. you know, you have to focus on the things you want to happen. And that means getting rid of the things that you're worrying about having happen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You, you become your thoughts truly. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the life-changing moment and really phenomenon that was Oprah and your dad rising to fame. Cause I'm sure as his daughter, it was life-changing for you. Well, so something I think people forget is that I'm the oldest of the four. And like I mentioned, my dad was in medical school when I was born or recently graduated. And I didn't grow up with America's Dr. Oz. I yes. grew up with the heart surgeon, Dr. Oz, you know, uh, you know, celebrated surgeon, Dr. Oz, who he, I think at, at his peak, he was doing 400 surgeries a year, which was like, unheard of in terms of open heart and, and some of the techniques that wow. he pioneered and, and he holds patents. And like, so in my mind, my dad 
is a scientist. He's like a doctor. Like that's always where my first my first thought goes, even now, even however many years later. But um, it was when I was a sophomore in high school that he started appearing on Oprah regularly. And there, you know, absolutely were some seismic shifts of all of a sudden people knowing who my dad was in a way that they never had before. But there's one moment in particular that I've said, I'll say it again, even though this is like the memory that that never leaves me. When I was a sophomore in high school, my dad was voted, I think like, a, you know, when people magazine those like, those like roundups and they voted him, a, I think, sexiest doctor or something. Yeah. And he gave an interview wherein he is quoted saying that he and my mom have sex four times a day. <laughs> and I literally wanted to die because so many people I went to high school with read this stupid interview. And, uh, <laughs> um, like needless to say, it was, it, it was an incorrect estimate. Yeah. He meant week, right? He meant per week, which I'm yeah. sorry, still doesn't like, still not something I want printed in people magazine, but you know what I, I've gotten over it. And honestly, I now am like on the other side of marriage and parenting and everything else. I'm happy that my parents were celebrated yes. in this way. Yes. Know? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I want to touch on your first book, The Dorm Room Diet, because it just, it takes me back. I I feel like I lived on cereal and pizza bites. (laughs) Bagel bites are the best, by the way. There was nothing better than a bagel bite. (laughs) So good. So good. So clearly that's not what you want to be on. What were some of the staples that you can share, especially for the empty nesting parents that are listening that are like, oh, this is going to be good for you? I've been doing a lot of research for my own purposes about about teenage health and nutrition. Obviously, I grew up at the dinner table I grew up at, so I had lots of access to healthy food and knew quite a decent amount about my dad, both grandfathers, my uncle are all surgeons. And then my mother, my grandmother, and other members of my family are deeply into complementary medicine and supplementation and all that, So I, I and nutrition. So I'd had like this really great underpinning of basic knowledge. But what I'd felt in going to college is that it represented these kind of interesting and at that point, untapped opportunities for then young adults, probably for the first time leaving the nest and having this great deal of responsibility, which can be terrifying and also could represent the freedom to make really good choices to give them tools they could use to either navigate or circumvent these danger zone areas of college. And by that, I mean like late night studying, parties, super stressed out, eating with friends, feeling the pressure to eat certain things at certain times. Like there was, I identified these danger zones throughout sort of the typical college experience. And the beautiful thing is not only was I writing from personal, deeply personal experience, I was, I was literally living that moment as I was (laughs) writing the book, but I also was doing it with the perspective and like the hard line belief that I did not want to give up any of the rich college experience that I was desperate to have. Like I wanted to go to the parties. I wanted to go to the keggers. I wanted to go to the, watch TV later. You know, at the time 24 was like all the rage for that show. Of, oh um, yes. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so we like every Monday night religiously, like me and my friends would all get together. We would bring snacks and we would watch together and it's amazing. And, and, and of course at the you know first couple of times I went, I just like ate a huge bag of chips and it's mindless indulging. It's not like indulging for a good cause, which is something I came up with as a concept while writing this book, which is yes, indulge, enjoy the moment, have something, have that beautiful specialty at a restaurant or a homemade dessert or ice cream with friends or whatever it is, but have the moment mean something. Don't have it be just another sort of toss away in the bag. Developing strategies, whether it was bringing a pre-portioned amount of a snack I was happy to eat or figuring out a way to, to again, give myself the 
awareness to make good conscious choices as opposed to mindless ones that were just the easy or obvious or lazy ones that I could have made were um, was really cool and gave me that opportunity to enjoy my college experience fully and also do it in a way that let me lose 40 pounds ultimately over the course of my first couple of years at school, wow. write this book and write it at a time when I don't think the health and wellness advice that had been given to teenagers and young adults at the time had been all that specific to that age range. Like it had been kind of like efficiency eating or low budget eating or low skill level eating or, but it was sort of like jumbled together with everybody who might be in those categories, as opposed to hey, college people, (laughs) this is a very unique time in your life. And here's someone who is doing it alongside you and has this personal experience. Uh, The success that I've found has been through these specific tricks and tips and techniques I've used. And let me try to make it accessible and and useful and useful for you as well. You know, after college, how did you kind of chart your path where it included being, you know, a chef and a broadcaster and a mom and, and, and an author and so many things? My dad, he used lots of sports analogies, which I admit a lot, many of which went over my head, but this one actually stuck. And he's, he would always say, you can't catch the ball if you're not standing on the field. And I always remember thinking, you know, there were definitely moments in my life where I didn't have a clear cut path in mind. Media is a really tricky thing. People would, people still ask me all the time, you know, how do you, if you really want to be on TV, like, you know, or you really want to you know, be on a show or did you, or did you always want to be on TV? Right. And I have such a hard time with that because whether or not you always wanted it, like there has to be a show. They have to want you on the show. You have to be available to do the show. You have to, like, <laughs> there's, there's so many being in the right place at the right time with the right skill set. And then luck and like magic happening that is is not something you can plan for. So it was it's a hard thing to say I I always wanted or something like that. I what I would say I did is because of that advice my dad gave me, I kept my knowledge base up. Like I kept trying to learn more in the culinary space, in the nutrition space. I went uh, and got a culinary degree at the Natural Gourmet Institute. I studied nutrition at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I was working as a, a story coordinator for Inside Edition for a while. So I really like stayed around the hoop. But then again, like Smart. it was the opportunity of a life. Uh, it was the opportunity of a lifetime that I could never have predicted for that that opened the doors for the chew um, in the first place. And I think keeping your mind open and primed and being ready for opportunities so that you can jump on them when they strike has been really critical as I've sort of navigated the last you know decade or so. Yes, yes. Is there one episode that sticks out in your mind um, that you filmed on the chew? I'm not, I don't really get starstruck. It's not a celebrity thing. It was a, like a visceral childhood memory thing. I was so obsessed with the princess bride. I absolutely love that movie. Yeah. And Carrie Elwes came on the show at at some point. I honestly don't remember if he cooked with us. I don't know. He was there to promote a movie, I'm sure. But I I, like, I was in such a stupor the whole time he was there. I was like, he's here. (laughs) I watched you on VHS. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he signed my DVD and I still have this DVD somewhere in some, you know, memory box somewhere. We had really cool guests. We had hilarious segments. We had so many highlight moments. People sometimes have asked like, what's the worst thing you ate on that show? And so because of that, the, the thing that also comes to mind are some of the hideously disgusting things we had to eat. And one such example is a smoked salmon ice cream that oh. the, the memory of which will never leave me. It was the full-time grossest thing I've ever put in my mouth. And um, yeah, that happened. Um, tell us how you met John, firstly. 
John and I were in college together. Yeah. 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 We are the same year at school. We actually met freshman year, but started dating senior year. And we've been together ever since. It was very much like the college kids. Yeah. That's <laughs> Which so is so sweet. cool. I love that. You grew up together. We, I, that's a hundred percent how I frame it and think of it in my mind that I feel so happy that I got to know my husband as a kid. I mean, meeting at 18, like as he, 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 I think like all college boys are very much children <laughs> right, right. And, and college girls too. But, um, but, you know, getting to grow up together and move to the city together and get our first jobs together and get new jobs together and um, have children to get, like, we just have had so many different lives together in the last 14 years or however long it's been. So it's, yeah, it's really, really cool. That's beautiful. And um, did you always know that you wanted to be a mom, especially coming from a big family? Was that like, that's happening for sure? See, like, that's another thing, like the TV show piece is you think you know what you want, or you think (laughs) you know what you'll be. And then life throws you curveballs. And you know, you don't always have the prediction for the future that you'd that you'd have planned. But I will say that I always joked that I wanted seven kids. My grandmother has the six. I felt like the seventh. Every time we get together as a family feels like a holiday because there's just so many of us. It's always a family, like just getting immediate family together. It's a family reunion. There's like 30 people (laughs) at the dinner table. You know, I wanted that so deeply in my own life and intend to create that for us. Once you know your children, as opposed to them being like figments of your future self, like I'm going to have seven children. Once you actually know the physical beings and you see how special and like unique, they're not just little yous, you know, they're not like little offshoots of you. They are completely their own people and how much you want to be able to nurture that and spend the time on that. And Sarah Haynes was on the, on the podcast and she said, I knew I could be an amazing mom to one. I have found I am a really good mom to two. Uh, and then she was pregnant with her third at this time. She's like, I think I'm going to be a, a really, you know, a, a, an excellent mom to three. But like, I think beyond that, I'm not sure I could have, I could be the type of mother and the quality of mother that I want to be. Mm. And I, it gave me so much pause to think about like us knowing our own limitations and also our own aspirations. Like what, what do you want to have time to do? Cause there, there are only 24 hours in the day. Like what right. physically can you, where can you be and who can you be available to and how much can you do to be the parent you want to be? And, um, and so I think about that sometimes, you know, tell us about your four kids and how, how they've taught you or how they challenge you in a good way. Oh gosh, I'm going to forget. There was an amazing kind of meme going around that was, that was about raising kids versus raising adults. Basic, I'm totally going to butcher it. I don't remember all the details of it, but it was, it made me, it, again, it gave me pause. It made me think about the fact that, yeah, you're not like raising kids to stay stunted as kids forever. You're trying to give them the tools and the resources they're going to need to be happy and compassionate and, uh, you know, good adults. So right. um, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you restructure your parenting with that mindset in mind? And it got me thinking a lot about how, I do feel like I became version like Daphne before children knew what I loved and had my priorities and had my sort of passions and my accomplishments, like things that made me proud, all things that I was working through all this stuff. And then you have a baby and you become version 2.0 of that. And that doesn't mean you lose all the things that you were. If anything, it just forces you to like refine the ones that really matter and reprioritize and shuffle the sort of list of things you're focusing on. And I felt I became V3 with my second and before and like every time I have a baby, I do feel like I become a slightly different parent. Like I take on 
new ways of juggling the day and new techniques. And I hopefully learn from things I didn't do so well, but I am constantly amazed by how much my children continue that evolution and like push me to have answers before I'm ready to have answers. Like they ask me questions all the time that I have no answers to, you know, or, like, yes. or you know, or that you're like, you're thinking on the fly or you're watching their brains, like grapple with things that challenge them. And you, you want to give them the answer, but at the same time, at the same time, you're thinking, well, let me let them reason through it themselves because that experience will actually serve them so much better as they grapple with things I won't have the answer to. Like it's this constant negotiation of, of, of parenting yourself through the parenting experience and letting them teach you. And, and something that someone on the podcast had said, which I also hold on to is like, whenever you're confronted with a question you don't have the answer to, or you think is sort of like outside the realm of what's quote, you know, what's appropriate at that age or whatever, ask the question back. So like if they ask you, yeah. And it's fascinating what that question will reveal. Like if I remember (laughs) at some point, one of my kids had asked, you know, where do babies come from? And they were like three or four. I was not about to go. They didn't need the detailed answer. And And I literally said, well, where do you think they come from? And the the answer was like the cutest, you know, well, you were hungry and your tummy and then you like, you know, ate something. Like it was oh, like, wow. That's like, so cute. Oh my goodness. And like so logical. Thing. Yeah. And then I, and then somebody came out of my belly button. There was a whole moment of that. And, but anyway, anyway, it became like, it let them think out loud what they were thinking through. And not that you like let your kids not that you mislead your kids, but that you yeah. just let them, it, it, what, what is evinced is like, what is age appropriate in their mind of what they're already, what they're thinking about, because it's so not what we're thinking. About. Yes. Yes. Which I love. With a mom brain. I mean, I mentioned in the beginning that it was just, it was like a lifeline for me. I loved listening to the episodes and one of my, there's a few of my favorites, but I loved when you had Deepak Chopra and Malika Chopra mm-hmm. on. I thought mm-hmm. it was a really great one through, in, during the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, Rachel Blumenthal was another favorite. And I've had them on Mom Sense as well. There's so many different guests that have come on the show. Do you feel like you want to interview them so you understand their parenting philosophy? Because there is no rule book and we can glean from one another. Yeah, I, I mean, 100%. I think every time... I'm either the best or the worst dinner party guest of all time because I really like get away from the small talk pretty quickly and immediately want to ask life questions. Like I want, I, you know, I'm happy to talk about all of it. I'm happy to talk about relationships, kids, career, whatever. Like I am just deeply interested in the human and, um, and in the choices that you've made and the places in your life where you felt like you made a good choice or a bad choice or like whatever. I think that's really interesting. And I, the one, you know, one of the many things that I hope to learn is absolutely parenting philosophy, absolutely like good advice that stuck with you, ways that your kids have taught you something. The question you just asked, I think is really important, but also like, how did you not lose sight of you? How did you keep doing things that were that were part of your life before kids or that like you rejiggered to figure out a way that, you know, figured a way that could make sense in your new life. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things that was most compelling and powerful for me was the com- were the conversations we have with the woman even more than the conversation with the mother. Like as in you yes. are mother, mother is a defining piece, a huge piece of, of what we are, but it's also like, it fits in the context of you as a whole. And like, what are you doing to make yourself happy or have relationships that fulfill you or find that passion and drive or give yourself a, 
you know, I, I, I was, was very resentful of people who would say, well, like, oh, that'll be, you know, there someone was like, well, your life's on hold for 20 years. And I was like, absolutely not. No My life way. is on, like in yeah. no world. And, and, and then they followed that with like, well, you know, once your kids don't need you anymore, then you can go back to like having your life again. And I, and I just disagree with this for so many reasons. A, because I hope my kids never don't need me. B, because I, you are not promised anything. So I sure as hell, I'm not waiting 20 years to like get back to a, like stop doing anything that I like, um, you know, for, for like my own personal, you know, journey. It was really important for me to be able to continue to find little ways to keep those parts alive. And, and I had great examples of it. My, my mother and my grandmother amidst raising many children between them have gone on to graduate degrees. My grandmother was an elected official. She got her the- theological degree at like 50. She's a now an ordained minister. My my mother is in her own graduate program now. So like there's, and they've had a myriad of different careers and they've just like constantly been feeding themselves and their womanhood in really powerful ways. And what I noticed first, like as a mother beyond anything is the happier they are, the happier their kids were and the happier their husbands were and the happier their families were overall because we are these emotional rudders for our families. And I think throughout the pandemic, we've seen that more than ever that like we warehouse so much and we take on so much and we are the ones that set the course or let it go adrift a lot of the time. And so the we can't lose sight of ourselves entirely. And it, and it can be impossible. Some days you are just like running flat out. And there is no time to think about, yes. you know, what what, yeah. what, I, what would make me happy today? <laughs> right, right, yeah. But you can't always be your last priority because yes. once you're depleted, you know, everybody else suffers. So that's Absolutely. sort of been something I, I was really excited to get to glean from those conversations too. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, now let's talk about your recent book, Eat Your Heart Out. <clears throat> Yeah. So um, Eat Your Heart Out is coming out next April, um, but you can pre-order it now. Yes. It is, uh, you know, it is um, like you said, it's all fun, no fuss food to celebrate eating clean. And it's 150 recipes that are free from gluten and refined sugar, very limited dairy. But but if you know anything about me, if you follow me online or have seen me cook on television, like you know that I am not someone who's in for deprivation. I am not down with eating food that is in any way less than spectacular. So what I, what I'd really struggled with, you know, was this sort of, I, people would always say like, how can you, how can you like find balance and what, you know, how are you able to eat in a way that's clean and also in a way that satisfies the same taste buds that like wants all these, you know, decadent, delicious things that I like to make. My point is actually not just because we love to eat delicious food, but like almost especially if you live for the perfect bite the way that I do, we need an, an eating plan that is a reset, a chance to get back to eating mindfully, like we talked about before, mm-hmm. where there were, there are points in my life after having babies, you know, after tons of stress or too much celebrating where I felt like my indulging became mindless and then it didn't mean as much. And it actually it was counterproductive, not only because it was depleting my health, but also because the joy I derived from eating wasn't happening as much because I was so like indulging all the time. Yeah. So, so I wanted to create a reset that would let it be a chance for me to, again, to get back to a balanced, feeling good in my skin, feeling strong in my skin, lose the weight if I had to, do it in a way that in ne- that never made me feel deprived, never made me feel like I couldn't have the things that I loved. And I developed the strategy and put it into the book. And you know that these 150 recipes are some of my favorites that I use to, to find that balance and find that reset without ever sacrificing the deep love and joy and pleasure I have of food. 
Do you have any holiday hacks, especially since you entertain for big groups? One of the things that I find has really made my holidays a lot less stressful is prepping ahead, which is not something that came normal naturally to me. Like I am very much a procrastinator, but I have, as I've gotten better and more experienced at it, like I don't do everything from scratch. I'll either have things prepped ahead or I will, you know, I'll make the main meal, but then dessert will just be a bunch of broken up chocolate bars. And I, I do my centerpieces usually are like a lot of whatever the fresh produce of that season is. So in the winter time, it's all that fresh citrus and the whole walnuts scattered down the table and on pomegranates and, you know, um, grapes and things. And what's so fun is like, it gives people something to do with their hands. And at when, when the meal is concluded, they can kind of like deconstruct the centerpiece for dessert. Plus they get these great big chocolate bars. People just want to feel, uh, even if it's just one or two different things, but the abundance of those things makes people feel so taken care of. And more than anything, they're there to spend time with you. So the, so the, less you do to overwhelm yourself, stress yourself out, take yourself away from the table. Do like, no one's there to eat, you know, a, a, a three-star meal, a seven course meal, a, like, a th- like it's just right. not what they're coming. Like plated and, no, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a family style. I am a, you know, make it something that everyone's going to find something really that they love and enjoy, but more than anything, just what can make them feel well taken care of. And like, I could be present and enjoy their company too, because that is truly what they will remember. Well, this was wonderful, Daphne. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on That's Total Mom Sense. You are a delight. Thanks for having me. It was nice to meet you. And I'll be thinking of you. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I'll check in with you. Thanks again. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Daphne Oz. I hope you got some great takeaways from her. I want to share that mom brain got me through my two pregnancies and three kids. So definitely subscribe to mom brain, the podcast, if you haven't already and order her book, eat your heart out. Subscribe to That Total Mom Sense and leave a review wherever you listen. I am now sending Mom Sense merch to a lucky winner each week. And today I have a review from Chuck Steak 49. Never thought I would be someone who listens to a podcast named That Total Mom Sense, but it's such a great show to listen to. Valuable lessons and advice. I feel I have a better idea of what to expect whenever I get married and have my own family. I just love it. And the name is so great. Well, thank you, ChuckSteak49. I think it's great that you are a loyal listener. And I love that there are nuggets of wisdom in there for everyone. You don't have to be a mom, a dad, or a caretaker to really have this podcast resonate with you. So that means a ton. Tune into other episodes and browse my YouTube videos where I post highlights of my interviews. And you can just search for That's Total Mom Sense. And my website houses everything. That's TotalMomSense.com. And if you just want to send me a note, email me at That's Total Mom Sense at gmail.com. Remember, always trust your mom sense and dad sense superpower. Stay strong, super parents. See you next time. That's total mom sense.